listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. If you would stand again, we're going to uh, read a passage of scripture today for today's uh, message. Uh, The scripture today comes through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I'm going to be reading verses 26 through 33. Um, Again, if if this is your first time here, once I'm done reading the scripture, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you're invited to respond, thanks be to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 33. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are, only, there are to be only two, or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Story City. Good morning. Uh, My name is Chris Wozniki, but you can go ahead and call me Woz if you like. Uh, For those of you who are new, I am one of several elder candidates here. Um, I also happen to work for an amazing ministry that you might have seen uh, on our Instagram this last Friday called Young Life, whose entire purpose is to introduce adolescents who normally wouldn't encounter Jesus to him and help them grow in their faith. Um, So last time... I preached, I started things out with a little bit of a game where I sang, and I put that in air quotes because there wasn't really much singing uh, going on, Um, and I had you kind of guess, sort of finish the lyrics. Uh, This morning, I'm going to start out with another sort of game. You know, I come from youth ministry, so like this is what we do. Um, Another sort of game where I'm going to have the tech team play a sound, and you're going to tell me what it is and what you're supposed to do in regards to that sound, okay? Can I have the first one? All right, police, what are you supposed to do? Pull over, okay. See, some of you just knew that answer. Boom, quick, you've been pulled over a whole bunch. Uh, All right, next sound. Yeah, check your phone, right. Um, Next sound. Okay, yeah, Mario. Very enthusiastic answer there. (laughs) Yeah, keep collecting those coins. Um, The last one. Yeah, turn off your phone, turn off your radio, because that thing's just going to be annoying, right? That's what you're supposed to do when you hear that. No, it's an emergency, supposedly. I don't think I've ever encountered one where it was an actual emergency. They're always just tests. Um, I mean, maybe that's a good thing. Um, Anyway, so here's the point, right? Like, certain sounds that you recognize can drive you to action, but only if you know what they mean, right? So, like, if you heard a police siren and you've never heard one, you don't know what to do, right? But because you've been informed, like, this is what you do when you hear the sound, you do it, right? Um, Case in point. 
a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were, um, at, were getting ready to lead a Young Life camp down in Mexico this summer. Um, it was, it's basically a mission trip where uh, these kids get to serve in this orphanage. Uh, it's a chance for uh, these high school kids and college-age kids uh, to grow in discipleship and specifically in the area of mission. So it's cool stuff. So we go down there a couple weeks ago to sort of scope things out, to look at where we're at, look at what we're going to be doing. Um, and we're staying in this quaint little home next to the orphanage. Uh, and our team is getting ready to go to bed. You know, we just finished our devotional. People are brushing their teeth, putting on their PJs, doing their like facial routine, all that kind of stuff. And that's when we hear a sound. It's a wah, 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 and it stops. Wah, wah, stops. Wah, wah, wah. So there's just alarm that's going off in this pattern, right? So we're like, oh, okay, this has to be a smoke alarm or maybe like a carbon monoxide alarm or something. So my teammate, like, he goes and he finds where it's coming from and he looks at it and he's like, he looks at the back of the alarm. He says, I don't know what this says. And I'm thinking, like, oh, okay, like, we're in Mexico, must be in Spanish, like, I'm fluent in Spanish, like, thank God I'm on this team, like, we're going to solve this right now. So I walk over, take a look, and the label is just worn off, right? It's not that he can't read it. It's like the, the label is literally worn off, and the sound just keeps going off, wah, wah, wah. And we have no idea what it means, like, could be carbon monoxide, um, could be... Obviously, it's not smoke, because like, we don't see smoke. But So it's carbon monoxide or low battery. One or the other, right? One, completely innocent. The other, we might die. Um, so we fumbled around with it for like 30 minutes. Eventually, just decided to take the battery out um, and go to bed. And when I went to bed that night, I just said my prayers. I just like, thank God for a wonderful life and like for my kids and like told them to protect them as I die. I kind of just resigned myself. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, thankfully, half of us woke up the next morning. Uh, no, all of us woke up. Like, it was, it was just the battery that had died. Um, and I bring that up, right, because certain sounds can drive you to certain actions, but only if you know what they mean, right? We didn't know what that sound meant, so we didn't know what to do. Uh, and today, we're going to look at a passage in Scripture uh, where we learn that God gives certain words to believers, but those words only build others up if the listener understands what it means. So um, that might sound a little bit confusing, but it's going to make sense, I promise. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started. Jesus, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have decided to speak to us, that you've decided um, to be with us, to teach us and to help us grow and to help us learn uh, to become more like you and to become more faithful to you. I pray that as we open up your word that uh, we would hear your voice, um, that anything that tries to distract or keep us from really listening and having open ears and open hearts to you would just fall away. Uh, give us a posture of listening and a willingness to follow. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So um, <clears throat> over the last couple of months, we've been in a series in the book of Corinthians, uh, Paul's letter to this church in Corinth. And you might remember, this church is a mess. Um, 
And we all know, like, church is messy, but, like, this church is, like, really, really a mess. Like, our kids who eat chocolate donuts, like, before service mess, you know, just, like, chocolate and crumbs and everything and spilled hot chocolate. I was just thinking about that because my kid spilled hot chocolate. But, like, it's a big mess, right? Um, And one of the reasons it's a mess is because uh, all these people in this particular church are just really concerned about their status. Who's the best speaker? Who's friends with who? Uh, who's the richest? Who's the most influential? And our guest speaker last week, Justin, um, I believe his name was Justin, right? Yes. Um, he mentioned last week that people started to treat these spiritual gifts uh, that God gave them in a certain kind of way. They would be like, oh, I'm the best because I speak in tongues. I'm the best because I can heal people. Oh, I'm the best because I'm a prophet. I'm the best because I'm the most sacrificial. And then Paul rebukes them. And he basically says, oh, you, you can speak in tongues. That, that's cool. Do you love well? Oh, you have the gift of healing? That's, that's nice. But do you love well? You're a prophet. That's sweet. But how's the love thing going? You like to give? That's great. But are you actually giving out of love? Right, so Paul has to step in and teach these people about what these gifts are really about. So on the one hand, he tells them, yeah, just seek them, go after them, desire them, pursue them, be eager for them. And that is Paul's word for us today. But he also has to correct some stuff because they've forgotten what the heart of these gifts are. Um, the other day I was going for a walk um, and I was just praying and just processing through stuff and thinking, uh, uh, thanking God for my daughters. Hashtag girl dad. Um, and I was thinking, man, like I want what's best for them. Like if I could just give them everything and anything they needed, I would because I love them. Um, just I, if I could, I would just shower them with all the things they ever want. Right? And I give them gifts as much as I can because I love them. Right? And that's why God gives us these gifts of the Spirit too. Um, these gifts aren't just cool powers to do really cool stuff. Uh, they're actually born out of the Father's affection for us. And it's, it's born out of the same heart of love that was willing to give us his Son for us to save us, to forgive us, to bring us back into relationship with him. It's the same heart of willingness to give that God gives us these gifts, right? Because God is a, he's a giver. He's a God who gives grace. Um, and that's actually how Paul talks about these gifts. These gifts uh, are charismata, which literally translates as graces, right? Because God is a God of grace. These gifts are graces. So he gives us these gifts because he loves us, but he also gives us these gifts gifts because he wants what's best for his people, right? He wants actually to give us these gifts so that we can use them to do certain things with these gifts. Um, We're going to go ahead and start uh, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting at verse 26. I'll give you a second to get there, or you can just look on the screen. That works too. Um, So starting at verse 26, He says this, What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. So God gives his children gifts. Wisdom, healing, service, discernment. 
A bunch of these chapters look at these different gifts, but this chapter in specific looks at one specific kind of gift, uh, the gift of words. And here's the main idea. If you're taking notes, um, and you're going to talk about this back when missional communities start in June, I don't know if we'll get back to this topic uh, all the way then, but here's the main idea. The main idea is that God gives us words to build others up. God gives us words to build others up. In this passage, Paul's talking about two different kinds of words. Uh, Spiritual words, spiritual gifts related to words. The first is what's called the gift of tongues. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 2 says this. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. Uh, Now, you might have gone to a church where people spoke in tongues loudly. Um, Sounds like a lot of noise. Maybe you've seen it on TV or uh, comedy making fun of it or people speaking in tongues, something like that, right? And the reality is tongues kind of gets a bad rap. Um, And let's be honest, because it sounds weird, right? Um, And it's often done improperly. So what are these loud noises that we call tongues. Paul tells us here, he says, it's another language that isn't speaking to people, but to God. Uh, I like how Pastor Sam Storms uh, defines it. He defines it as this. He says, the gift of tongues is simply the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one you've learned in school. So what's this language, this ability to speak for? that you don't actually understand what's happening. Um, Like all the other gifts, the purpose is to build up, right? God gives these words, this gift, in order to build up. But in this case, it's not to build others up, it's actually to build yourself up. You know, in Romans 8, Paul talks about praying in the spirit, right? He says that it's like praying groans uh, that are too deep for words, It's almost as if you're like trying to express something to God and it's too profound that it's like beyond your cognitive abilities to actually pray that out. Your cognitive abilities can't make sense of what you're trying to say. Um, Think of it this way. Have you ever um, seen like a beautiful landscape like a sunset or like Yosemite or something and try to take a picture of it? Have you ever done that? Yes, right? When you look at that picture that you took on the phone, does it do any justice to what you saw? No, right? Because the technology can't capture the depth of the beauty. Praying in tongues is sort of like that. Um, it's sort of like your technology, your physical cognitive abilities can't capture the depth of what you're trying to say, but your spirit can. Um, Sam Storms, he, he reminds us that tongues is about prayer and worship. Uh, Whenever I've experienced this gift, it's always been in the context of prayer. It's always been in the context of just worshiping on my own. Usually when it's, I'm like really into the worship, like overwhelmed by God's grace and his majesty and his love. Um, And it's like, I wish I could worship you harder, Jesus, but like I don't have the words to do that. So it's a gift that helps you connect to God and it's a gift that has an effect on you. It builds you up. But that's not the only kind of word gift that God gives. Um, Back in verse one, Paul mentions the other one. Uh, He says this, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. So there's this other gift called prophecy. Um, 
Most of the times when we talk about prophecy or think about prophecy, we think about foretelling, as in like saying something that will happen in the future. We think of prophecies about Jesus' birth, which are in the Old Testament, prophecies about uh, Israel coming back from exile. Maybe you grew up uh, learning about like end time prophecies. Like that's usually what comes to mind when we think about prophecy. Scripture definitely does talk about prophecy in that kind of sense, uh, about telling what's going to happen in the future, but that's not all prophecy is. Prophecy primarily is not foretelling, it's forthtelling. It's speaking God's words into specific situations. In fact, Paul says that this is the kind of prophecy that usually consists of the following things. Verse three, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. So three things, strengthening, encouragement, consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So unlike tongues, which is to build yourself up, prophecy is about building others up. It builds other Christians up through encouragement, through strengthening, through consolation, and it also builds people up by drawing people to Jesus. And we see this in the Bible a whole bunch. Um, in the book of Acts, which in a lot of ways is a model for how the church should live. Uh, we see it in the life of Paul. Acts 1, 13 says this. Now, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, the Spirit gives some words, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after that, they fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them and sent them off. So the Holy Spirit gives these particular words and they act upon them and the mission goes forward. You think of the life of Peter. The, the Spirit gives Peter certain words, directs him to go to Cornelius, which gets the gospel of the Gentiles. We see this in the life of Philip. The Spirit leads Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch who then goes out and brings the gospel to the rest of Africa. So God is directing people, leading them to who to talk to and what to say to them. Right? And he builds the church through these words. But he also encourages believers. 1 Timothy 1.18. Listen to what Paul has to say to Timothy. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. He's basically like, remember when the Lord used other believers to speak to you? Hold tight to that. Remember that truth when you're discouraged, when you're down in, the in your ministry, when you feel like you just can't keep going with this? Remember that prophetic word that built you up. Remember that so you can fight the good fight. Right? So Paul, Peter, Barnabas, Philip, all these high-profile names. I mean, Philip isn't really all that high-profile, but... Right? You think like, okay, is this for us? Is this just for Bible people? Um, it's for us believers too. First off, Paul tells us to eagerly desire these gifts, especially prophecy. Second, it's actually pretty common. Let me give you some, uh, some scriptures and tell me, this is a rhetorical question, I don't want you to like actually tell me, tell me if you've ever experienced anything like this. 
John 14, 26 says this. John 14, 26 tells us, oops, I went a little too far there. But the counselor, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. Have you ever felt as though the Lord just supernaturally brought some scripture to mind? Like you're sitting with a friend over coffee and just this verse pops in your mind and you say it to them and it's exactly what they need to be encouraged. Not weird, right? Totally normal. You might think, oh man, that like happened to me the other week in missional community. I felt like during DNA time I was supposed to like share this verse and I shared it and like it is super encouraged this person because that's exactly what they needed. That's the Holy Spirit reminding you of his words, like Jesus says is going to happen, to speak to encourage others. What about this? Um, have you ever been sitting in a sermon and it feels like the preacher says something that just feels like it's exactly what you needed to hear? Like, not just in general, like, oh, this is good, like, everybody should hear this, but like, it's speaking exactly to you in that moment. Right, that's the, pre that's the spirit giving the preacher right words for encouragement, for strengthening, for consolation. The preacher might not even know what's happening. Or what about this? Check out Luke 12, 11 to 12. It says this. Whenever they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what should you say. For the Spirit, Holy Spirit, will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Have you ever been talking to like a coworker or someone about Jesus and you didn't know what you were gonna say and then all of a sudden it felt like, oh wow, like now I have like the exact words I need to share with this person so I can like communicate the gospel or who Jesus is? Right, that's, Jesus says like that's what's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit is gonna give you exactly what to say. So all of these things are actually really normal, right? He gently reminds us gently gives us impressions, gently gives us a sense of what needs to be said. Sometimes it's very clear, certain words to say. Sometimes it comes as this general sort of impression. Now, if you've been walking with Jesus, you know that's true. Maybe you've never put the pieces together, like, oh, like, this is like the Spirit using me to speak prophetically to this person. That You might have never like, put two and two together, um, but that's what's happening. Now, if we were to learn to recognize that this is how the spirit works. How would it change things if we decided to act on it? If we decided to recognize it for what it was and tried to be extra attentive to how the spirit might be leading us to encourage others or to share the gospel with others. Um, Gary Tyra, who's a professor at Vanguard University, um, he says this, he says, what if the prophetic activity I'm describing here, you know, the really simple stuff of like encouraging a friend in DNA group or over coffee or sharing the gospel, obeying a significantly strong impression to humbly, gently speak and act in the name of the risen Christ really is, at least some of the time, the work of the Holy Spirit. What kind of missional faithfulness would such a large scale paradigm shift unleash in the Western world? Think about that how much more effective would we be if we were willing to be attentive to what the Lord is doing? So, if God gives these words to build people up, 
Should we just like be doing that all the time? Like, why doesn't it happen all the time? Uh, should be pretty easy to put it into action, right? Actually, Paul says um, that this purpose of building others up can easily be derailed. Here's your second point. The goal of building others up can easily be derailed. You know, Paul talks about three things that can easily derail God-given words to encourage, strengthen, and console others. The first is unintelligible speech. Like, you can't be encouraged, consoled, strengthened if you have no idea what's being said. Um, And that's what Paul says about tongues. Like, if there's no interpreter, you have no idea what's being said. Think of it this way. Someone walks up to you, and they're like, hey, friend, I have a word of encouragement for you. And you're like, oh, wow, thanks. Like, I'm ready to receive that. And then they just, like, speak gibberish. That would not be, like, encouraging at all. How are you even supposed to respond to that? Um, It just makes no sense. So uh, that's actually the problem with uninterpreted tongues. Paul says this uh, in verse 6. He says, So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with the revelation of knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Um, I brought this with me this morning. It's a recorder. How many of you played this in fourth or fifth grade? There you go. A bunch of you, right? I'm going to play some music. I've been practicing. Thank you. Um, That's just a bunch of noise, right? Paul says this in verse 7, even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether a flute or a harp, if they don't make a distinction in notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? Right? If it's just notes, not even like in a sound, a melody, I don't know the terms, I don't know music at all, right? Like if it doesn't sound like music, it's just noise. And that's what uninterpreted tongues is, Paul says. He also gives uh, an example of using a bugle to prepare for war. No, we don't do that now. Like, you don't think of, like, the Navy SEALs, like, playing, like, a bugle before they, like, break into a room. Like, that's not what's going to happen, right? Um, but if you've been to a Dodger game, there's that chant, right? It's the da 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 Right, that's, that's basically what a bugle is, right? So there's the sound, and then they know what to do. They charge, right? Finally, he gives a third illustration of a foreigner speaking and then you not knowing the language. Um, that's some of my Midwestern friends. Like, I'm sorry if you're from, do you technically consider yourself from the Midwest? Okay, so it's not you that I'm talking about. It's other friends uh, <clears throat> who, like, they, sh- they come to Southern California and they try to order tacos and they're like, can I have the carne asada on a tortilla with, like, maize quesadillas? Like, and the taco guy is like, what, what did you just say? <laughs> like, I have no idea what you're ordering. It's kind of like that, right? Like, it's a language that, like, you don't understand and you can't move forward with that. You can't give the guy tacos if you have no idea what kind of tacos he's asking for. So Paul says, avoid uninterpreted tongues because they don't do the body good. They don't build up the community. If nobody understands what's happening, nobody's going to be encouraged. So what's the solution? He says, well, you need an interpreter, someone with the gift of interpretation. Um, So there's another way that things can get derailed. One is like if you don't understand. Uh, The second is if people are just speaking out of turn. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in another tongue, there are only to be two or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. 
So why two or three? Um, because if all of a sudden everybody wants to say something, then it's going to be a huge mess. It's, it's about hogging up the time. Like, if, if, if everybody's trying to talk at the same time and there's not order, nobody's going to understand what's going on. Um, think, about, think about it this way, right? Um, when you play basketball, when you, I assume when you play basketball, when you've played basketball or have watched play basketball, sometimes there are people who are ball hogs, right? Y'all know what that means? Ball hogs? Um, sometimes certain people should be hogging the ball, right? Like Kobe. Like, give him the ball. I want him to hog the ball at the end of the game. No one else on the floor needs it. Just give it to him. Right? But when it comes to God's word, we don't need hogs. Bible hogs? God's word hogs? I don't know what to call them, right? Um, why? Because there isn't one person who has exclusive access to speaking these words of encouragement into others. There's no, like, prophetic Kobe out there. The church doesn't have Kobe's or MJ's. They're just a bunch of undrafted free agent role players. Like, that's who the church is. Um, and that's cool, because when that happens, you actually need to work together as a unit. You can't just have these, like, superstars doing everything. Everybody needs to come together to do their part. Now, when people try to hog the space of encouragement and speaking, we miss out on what God wants to do through others. You know, the other day I was at a gathering with some leaders, um, and I felt pretty heavily that there was a certain thing uh, I needed to say, speak a word of encouragement to this group. Um, and to be honest, I hesitated. Uh, I waited too long to speak, and even though I felt like the Lord was impressing certain things on my heart, I waited long, and the next thing I know, there's a person who's speaking for like 15 minutes straight, giving like a mini sermon in this small group setting. Um, next thing I know, time was up, we had to transition to the next thing, and I never spoke what was on my heart. Uh, there's a few problems here. The first problem is on me, right? I hesitated, so I missed out. Uh, the second is that this person should have been aware that there is, during times of sharing, we should create space for multiple people to share. So that's the second problem. We have an unintelligible language, and then there's speaking out of turn or over others. The last one is dissension. Sounds pretty epic, dissension. Um, and let me preface this real quick by saying that for some reason, Samir likes to throw me under the bus. Um, I'll tell you why. Because the last time I preached, um, if you remember, I talked about circumcision and slavery. Uh, really easy stuff to preach about, right? Uh, this week, Samir gave me the passage that says, women should be silent in churches. <laughs> Another uh, really easy passage. Um, he says, women should be silent in churches for they are not permitted to speak. See some of you husbands kind of nodding, right? Women, you can just give them a hard elbow to the ribs if, if you saw them do that. Um, so let me set up these verses. Um, first off, the verses I'm about to read have nothing to do with whether uh, other women can be pastors or preach. That's a completely different topic. Different verses deal with that. So that's not what's going on here. Um, second, in chapter 11, just three chapters right before he says this, Paul teaches the women that if, they, if they're going to prophesy and pray in front of the congregation... Something needs to happen, in particular, that would communicate to the culture so that it would be accepted. So he basically says, here are the steps you need to take. So Paul assumes that there are going to be women who are prophesying and praying in public in the church. So put that on the table. 
before we read this. So that's pretty straightforward. He assumes that's going to happen. They're going to speak in front of other people. Right, so then we should interpret this tricky passage in light of the really straightforward, clear passage. All right, verse 34. It says this. The women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. <clears throat> so here's the problem. Um, Paul had just said that when someone speaks, there should be leaders in the church who evaluate whether that was a word from God or if it's just nonsense. That was uh, the passage that Stephen read for us this morning. And briefly what's happening here is that there are some women in the church who have taken it upon themselves to be the judge and jury of that word that was spoken instead of letting the church leaders decide whether that word was actually from God or not. Basically, they're usurping authority. They're creating dissension in the middle of a service. Think of it this way. Uh, some, think of it this way. Samir's preaching, right, and someone stands up in the middle of the service and says, um, actually, the Bible doesn't say that. Um, actually, you're wrong. You don't know what you're saying. Awkward, right? Like if that just happened in the middle of a service. And that's kind of what's happening here. Leaders have evaluated this word of encouragement that's come to the church, and they said, yep, this is from the Lord, we're going with it. And then someone is publicly standing up and challenging that. Do you see how that can be disruptive, just like a little bit? Right? Imagine God is encouraging someone, and you feel encouraged, and all of a sudden somebody else stands up and they're like, nah, don't pay attention to that. Like that's not from God. Right? That wouldn't build up what's happening in that moment. That would actually tear down what's happening. So we have three things. Unintelligible words, problems taking turns, and dissension. That's why Paul gives all these guidelines. Right? He says if anyone speaks in tongues, uh, to the lack of intelligibility, you need an interpreter. Right? To the problem of taking turns, he says, establish an order for how it should be done. To the problem of dissension, he says, Stop doing that. Like, just plain stop that. There's a lot in this passage. Right? We know God has given us gifts, specifically words to build others up. We know that can easily get derailed, which is a shame because it actually robs the church of how God wants to encourage it. God wants to encourage, to strengthen, and console believers. And there's all kinds of reasons that we miss out on that. So how do we, as a church, make sure that we don't miss out on this gift that God has given us? First off, God tells us to desire it eagerly. We have to desire it. Second off, and this is the thing I want you to remember, is that we should speak God's words into the lives of others with an attitude of expectation and humility. Expectation and humility. Do you expect that God is going to speak through you to others? Is that something that you think God can actually do? Do you think God desires that for you? Do you think he wants to use you to strengthen people? Think of your missional community. To encourage them, to build them up, to do that in your workplace? More than do you just expect it, do you eagerly expect it? Um, John Calvin, he says this. It's kind of a long quote, <clears throat> but he says this. 
From this passage of Paul's writings, we may conjecture how very illustrious that church was in respect of an extraordinary abundance and variety of spiritual gifts. So basically, he says, this church is full of gifts. Like, they have so many. There was so great a diversity of gifts that there was a super abundance. We now see our leanness. So he's talking about himself in his day. So back then, that church, super abundance. Us today, our leanness, nay, our poverty. But in this, we have just punishment, sent to requiet our ingratitude, for neither are the riches of God exhausted. So it's not like God doesn't have these gifts that he can give, like his riches aren't exhausted. But we're living in leanness or poverty, for neither are the riches of God exhausted, nor his benignity, coming from the word benign, lessened, but we are neither deserving of his bounty nor capable of receiving his liberality. So basically he says, God has a super abundance of gifts and he just wants to dole them out like Oprah with cars, you know, like you get a gift, you get a gift, you get a gift. Why? Because that's how he decides to show his love for his people. Through the hands and feet, you know, we talk about like God showing his love for the church like through Christians using their hands and feet to serve others. God also wants to do that through our words, through our mouth. Not just our hands and feet, but through our mouths. But we don't get it because we don't expect it. We're living in a spiritual poverty. So the question is, are you going to expect it? When you go to missional group, and I talk a lot about missional group because this is a perfect setting to think about these things. Do you come to give or to receive? Do you come to give or to receive? Do you expect that God is gonna use you to speak encouragement into the life of your community? Or do you just come to hope that somebody's gonna speak encouragement into you? What about when you pray? When you pray, do you just enter autopilot mode, right? Lord, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for this. Thank you for that, blah, blah, blah. Just autopilot, like same prayer every time, not even thinking about what you're praying. Like you could literally be asleep. Sometimes you do fall asleep praying like that. Um, Or do you wait and pause and expect God to guide your prayer, to give you the right thing to pray for? Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. And when he doesn't, you just pray what's biblical. Or, you, or do you pause in those times? You know, I find that it's only as you pause and as you're willing to just linger with him that you begin to hear what it is that he wants you to be praying for. You know, sometimes in that moment of just slowing down, taking 10 seconds before you start to pray, that the Lord will bring certain things to mind, certain things that will encourage people, scriptures, passages, stories, Bible verses, images, whatever it might be. You know, um, I find that this practice of just waiting and asking Jesus, Jesus, what would you have me pray for right now? And not just assuming like, oh, I know what I'm gonna pray for. Like, I'm gonna pray for X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, like, Jesus, what do you want us to pray for right now? It's in moments like that, when you have that expectation that he's actually gonna lead you in what you're doing with the right words that he begins to speak. You know, um, Gary Tyra, the the professor I mentioned at Vanguard, he he tells this story of this pastor here in SoCal who um, had just gone through a study in looking at the life of Samuel. Uh, Samuel, if you remember, he was a little child and he was sleeping one night and he heard his name being called um, and he thinks it's Eli. 
So he goes, and this happens like three times, and Eli eventually figures out, it's like, oh no, that's not me calling you, it's, it's the Lord speaking. Um, next time you hear that, say, basically like, here I am, your servant, I'm listening, something like that. Um, so this pastor hears this story, right, and he's like, okay, I'm going to try this out, like, God, do you still speak? Do you, like, direct stuff? Like, can you encourage in this way? So he, he does this. Um, so he's driving. He, he just finished this Bible study. He's driving home, um, and he gets a sense that he needs to buy a gallon of milk. Super random, right? Um, so he goes and, and buys a gallon of milk, and he's driving. He's like, well... If I was wrong, I'm just going to have an extra gallon of milk at home. No big deal. Um, so he, he, he turns down the... Sh- he, he, he senses that he needs to turn down the street and just stop and take the milk to that house. No idea why. Right? He knocks on the store. I mean, I would never do this. I would be like, oh, that's not the Lord. That's just... That's just uh, get, get some extra milk at home for the kids. So he says, I don't know why. Uh, so he knocks on this door. And he says to this guy... Um, I don't know why, but I felt like I should bring you some milk. (laughs) Super awkward, right? The guy grabs the milk and walks down the hall shouting in Spanish. And then a woman with a baby in her arms, a small child, comes to the door in tears, streaming down her face, saying that we didn't have milk for our child. And we didn't have anything to pay for it. So we prayed for God to send an angel with some milk. Are you an angel? Obviously, he's not, right? So he, he, he got to encourage her, and he gave her money for groceries for the rest of the month, because obviously, like, that's what they really needed. It wasn't just one gallon of milk. It was like, they needed groceries. So why did that happen? First off, they were expect- he was expecting for God to lead Second off, it was to encourage this pastor and his faith to step out. Third, it encouraged this family that God hears prayers. Fourth, it encouraged this family that God actually loves people who are in need. So all these things are happening because he was expectant. So there's this willingness to pause and wait and to ask the Lord for guidance and direction. But it's not just expectation that's the key attitude. There's actually a need for humility too. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor in North Carolina, um, he says this. He says, we're called to be led by the Spirit, but taught by the Word of God. Led by the Spirit, taught by the Word of God. Scripture and Scripture alone is our standard. We're called to judge all words by the standard of Scripture. So if someone says something and it doesn't line up with the Bible, well, that's not from God, obviously. You know, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and hear me. They listen, they listen to my voice and hear me. The only way you're going to grow in your understanding of what's from God and what isn't is if you grow in your knowledge of God's word, if your mind is just saturated in scripture. But it's not just knowing that, right? It's, it's remaining humble in that attitude that we're not infallible, that we're not scripture. Scripture doesn't contain errors. We definitely do. Right, so we should never treat an impression or a word or encouragement or an image from God as this infallible kind of message. Like, you're not the Bible. So don't be saying, um, God told me to marry you. You know, like, you hear that in college kids. God told me to break up with you. No, you just wanted to break up. God didn't actually say that. Um, God told me the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl this year. No, that's false prophecy. Um, <laughs> But 
We need to be willing to say someone, to someone, hey, I might be wrong, but I need to share this Bible verse with you. Hey, I might be wrong. This might not be what you needed, but I felt like I need to share this story or share this word with you, whatever. Right, so here's what it all comes down to. God has called us to be a community, us at Story City, to be a community that is on mission to this neighborhood. And he has equipped us to be a community that builds one another up, that encourages one another. And he's given us gifts to grow together and outwardly, both of those things, to speak God's word to each other and to the world out there. So are we ready for that? Are we expectant and willing to let the Lord do that? Or are we just gonna keep playing church? Right? Are, are we gonna take seriously the call to be the church and to live in the fullness of what God wants to do through us? So I'd encourage us to be the community that commits to hearing God's word and speaking God's words to others. Um, right now we're gonna transition into a time of communion. Um, in order to let God speak his truth over us. I think that's one of the beautiful things about communion. Like, we hear the word of God preached, but in other ways, communion is kind of like a physical, tangible representation of that same gospel that's preached. Right? Whenever we take communion, we are reminded that he loved us so much to give his only son for us, to die for our sins that his body was broken, that his blood was spilled so that we could be reconciled to him. One of the reasons we take it is to be reminded of that very gospel, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be consoled, to be reassured, all the same things we're talking about, but through taking of communion. If you're a believer, those things are true of you. So I would invite you to come and take communion during this time. If you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, I would just encourage you to wait um, because those things don't have that same significance for you yet. It would just be this mindless act or ritual that doesn't have depth of meaning. So I'm gonna go ahead and pray and uh, we're gonna go ahead and take a time uh, just to be before the Lord. I would encourage you um, to either take it by yourself and just focus on what the Lord is saying to you right now or to be with others uh, in prayer as you take communion. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Jesus, um, we love you and we thank you that you love us. We thank you for the gift of your son, that you were willing to die on the cross for us, to sacrifice your very life, that being the greatest gift of all that you've given us, Lord. We are also thankful for all the other superabundance of gifts that you want to give us. I pray that we would have open arms and open hands that are just willing and eager and expectant to be used by you to build others up and to build up your kingdom by being your church out in the world, a church out on mission. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for all that you do for us and all that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.